welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome in. This is the Tuesday Not So Deep Dive episode on Chit Chat Money. We have Brad Freeman joining us today. I have Ryan Henderson here as always. Brad, we're talking Sprout Social. Have you heard of this company before? Because I think it was your choice, correct? Yeah. Uh, another one of those uh, really interesting cloud players that that could possibly have a niche and, and could possibly be really interesting for the long term that just got I mean, in hindsight, 2020, obviously Monday morning quarterbacking, but just got way ahead of itself in terms of valuation. Uh, but in terms of multiple compression lately, it's gotten a lot more interesting. Um, so, so it, it seemed like a good, a good time to, to dig in. I, I mean, they're in that SaaS category that, that is, is pretty durable in terms of economic cycles. So um, multiple compression plus durability is, is, is a, is a good combination. So I wanted to see if there's anything interesting to look at here. Yeah. And there, I think it will have a nice discussion on whether their TAM talk that they give out is as big as they're saying, because it is a new category without spoiling what their business is. I'll let Ryan get into it, that they're kind of projecting these TAM numbers. And it's possible it could be that large, but it's also possible it could be a lot smaller. Uh, before we get into the episode, let's talk about our sponsor today. And that is Quarter, one of our favorite financial apps out there. With Quarter, you get a frictionless access to conference calls, investor presentations, transcripts, and earnings reports from markets all over the world. And that's, I think the two best parts are one, you can speed up and slow down the conference calls because sometimes, as we all know, if you're listening to a conference call, some of them can talk quite slowly. So you can speed that up and it's quite, I find that the best feature. And two, you have a lot of stuff from niche places around the globe, which I also think is great. You're going to find a lot of stuff. They have a really good customer support team where you can go ask for new markets or new companies or new sectors or whatever to get added to the platform. Brian, do you want to have some data here? The, yeah, the one thing, the one thing I think they need to add is they they have the skip to the Q and A button, which is really nice, but they need to skip past the disclosures button as well. Oh, that's a good. All right. So I'm gonna well, I'm gonna message <laughs> our message contacts yeah. and say, new new product idea. That's right, and they're always very responsive. They prioritize requesting new companies, and the best part, quarter is a hundred percent free. Spell. Uh, let me spell it here because it is a bit different spelling. It is Q U A R T R. No e at the end. Go to the App Store, look it up. You'll be able to find it, download it. It's free. They're a great partner. They actually gave us this. Well, no one can see it, but there's the post. We got a banner here hanging behind us. We got a banner. Very nice. Uh, All right, Ryan, do you want to introduce Sprout Social? Yeah, Sprout Social is a centralized platform for, I would say, businesses or organizations to manage all their social media pages in a single spot. So the key components of the platform include uh, engagement. So think like your inbox, like if you're the best way to do it is use an example. Let's say you're KFC and you've got a whole bunch of DMS on Instagram, Twitter, 
uh, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Facebook. Those are all aggregated into one place. That's their inbox part. You can also manage your mentions. So when people tag you in tweets or something like that, you can respond to those all from the same place. There's social CRM too. So you can get there's a lot of data that goes beyond simply, it's not just aggregating your social media feeds. So the social CRM gives you data on the users that uh, have mentioned you or something like that. So they'll give you hit their historical interactions. And then there's publishing. So you can schedule uh, content posts, stuff like that. Uh, there's analytics as well. So they'll give you feedback. And then there's business intelligence. I'll kind of talk about that later. And then there's some additional features. They have an app uh, as well. So the way I like to think about it, it's if you are a part of a company's social media team, you're probably on either this platform or one of its competitors. But since or, well, Ralph, I think they say that a lot of people aren't, but they, you should be. Because yeah, a lot, okay. Only, this is the ideal yeah. platform for you. And it also even applies to like public relations because there's a lot of uh, public relations related stuff that's on social media. And so I could see how some of those uh, employees at a company would also be on this platform. Um, and it's a pretty much a simple business to business software as a service model. So they charge on a per seat basis uh, and it, they tend to expand within a team. So as a team either adds uh, new users to the platform or, or adds new employees that they're adding uh, with their subscription, or if it, uh, applies to a different part of that company. And then some of the uh, uh, socials that they operate across include Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, LinkedIn, Google, Reddit, Glassdoor, YouTube. And they even have some commerce platforms like Facebook Shops and Shopify. So it, it really is pretty comprehensive. Um, and it's just a way to manage your social presence as a company. Uh, as for the history, Sprout Social was founded in 2009 by now CEO Justin Howard. At the time, he was employed at an enterprise software company, and he was looking for a tool that would help him communicate with consumers. So that was kind of the uh, inception of the idea. And he found three other people to help him build it. And they're, they're all still working at the company. It's Aaron Rankin, Gil Lara, and Peter Sung. I think I'm saying all those right. And they launched the first version in 2010. It sounds like they found product market fit really quickly and they were able to raise capital uh, fast. They, they raised several rounds of venture capital funding. Um, they were able to expand their work for, workforce. They IPO'd in 2019 and today they're headquartered in Chicago, have roughly 900 employees across the whole company um, and more than 30, let me get the number right, uh, 32 more than 32,000 total customers. So it's big and they are the leading provider as far as market share goes in this industry. Yep. And I'll hit industry and competition. That's a good lead in. They believe uh, there is a $44 billion current addressable market that they have. And Ryan, you'll get this when Ryan's going through the earnings. They have less than 1% share of that. And then in 2025, they expect this to grow to a $100 billion addressable market around the globes, uh, around the globe, excuse me, for all their services. I kind of call BS on this. It seems a bit large or maybe, you know, a bit quick for that to be a hundred billion dollar industry. Um, but it is going pretty quickly. These social media management softwares, there are tons of competitors. They include Hootsuite, Zoho Social, Sprinkler, no E at the end. So obviously it's a good platform. Um, and then Salesforce, although interestingly, Salesforce is winding down their product due to the new partnership with Sprout Social, which I think is an interesting thing we can talk about later. I have a first discussion question here that we'll probably maybe hit on at the back half as well. Will so? Do you guys believe social media management software will actually become a gigantic industry? Brad, maybe start with you. 
I, I do. Uh, so uh, for me, I mean, personally, it's not super valuable. I, I spend all my time on Twitter, so I only have one. I mean, that is my dashboard. But um, I mean, just thinking about companies such as Revolve, uh, which we were talking about a little bit before this call, and how heavily they're leaning on this influencer economy and, and how common that's becoming. Um, I, I know in Ryan's notes, he'd said big influencers and businesses, and he kind of said businesses because it sounds silly to say influencers are are paying for P2B software, and I, and I sort of agree. But it's silly, but but it's happening, um, and, and and the world is changing, and and I really think social media followers and email lists are are the new currency in terms of data and in terms of becoming valuable to advertisers. And I know all three of us are experiencing this firsthand. Um, so yes, I do think this is going to become a gigantic industry. All right, Ryan. Yeah, I think well, I'm even seeing it around having just graduated from college, there's a lot of people that are getting hired in social media roles. Um, and it seems like it's becoming a more prominent part of each company or organization, especially big ones where I saw Danaher was on their list though. And I was like, Danaher, what do you need this for? <laughs> I'm sure there's some companies that don't need a social media management team, but it's just a way to manage your brand. And it's at this point, it is the, mar- it, like, it's the place to it's free marketing, really. I mean, it's not free because you have to hire people to manage it, but um, having like a good social media presence is, is essential in, in today's world. Yeah. I, I think we can all agree it's going quickly. I just don't know if it's actually as big as their I don't know if it's $44 billion addressable market. Just, just another random example that I'm obviously biased on because I own shares and, and I'm a cheerleader, but Duolingo is like, they're they're the social media king. They, they'll, they'll tweet something random and, and it always fascinates me how much engagement it gets. And that translates into over 90% of their growth coming from word of mouth and allows them to not spend on sales and to spend on product improvements and R&D. So, so I really think this could be a force multiplier if they do it really well and, and could be something that they can charge a lot of money for while, while creating a lot more successful clients and, and wealthy clients. So it's interesting. It's potentially interesting. Yeah, they provide a lot of value for sure. All right, let's move into management and ownership. Brad, what kind of information you got for us? Yeah, so the the resumes are pretty short and, and that's because these are pretty young people and they're founders and they've been founders since 2009. So not a ton of other experience. Um, so I, I think if you want to own this company, you should probably listen to Justin Howard, who's uh, the CEO and, and a co-founder, listen to him speak to, to see um, and, he, and he talks on Twitter a lot, so so you can you can hear him on some spaces. But um, just to kind of see if if he's a culture fit for you, because I think he's a culture fit for a lot of people, but no one is a culture fit for everybody. Um, but ninety eight percent Glassdoor rating, almost four hundred reviews, not a ton of experience to call out again, other than other than um, being a sales associate at a couple of companies before he founded this multi billion dollar enterprise. So kind of an imp- impressive promotion for him that he's given himself over the last 13 years. But um, the CFO is Joe Del Preto. Uh, he's been there since 2017, former controller at Groupon. Uh, we won't hold that against him. VP of finance at Echo. Hey, that's, a, that's a good, pra- that's, that's a tough environment, you know, that's, that's good right. practice, right? Yeah. Right. And then he was a VP at a company called Echo Global Logistics, which talking about tough environments, they brought him in after they, they kind of, miserably failed on, uh, with an IPO. Um, and he came in and successfully brought them public and, and fostered a lot of really successful, um, profitable growth. Uh, so he had a, a really successful tenure there. And he was a former senior accountant at PwC and an auditor. So um, not not massive experience, but I mean, I, I like when CFOs have been auditors in the past, that makes me a little bit more comfortable. But uh, the, the other co-founder who's got a big ownership stake that I'll talk about in a second 
is Alan Rankin. And by the way, if I sound really nasally, I apologize. I'm a little under the weather, but powering through. Um, but Alan Rankin is CTO and other co-founder. Um, he's again, really young, not a lot of experience. He's been, he, I mean, he worked as an associate at IBM and an engineer at Indeca. So really no senior management um, experience before he became the CTO of this, what has become a very successful, again, multi-billion dollar company. Um, so not, um, you can't call it the leadership team seasoned, um, but they have, I mean, they have, I mean, they built a successful company, regardless of what the stock price looks like today. They've built a two plus billion dollar company in three, in 13 years. So good for them, I guess. Um, ownership, BlackRock owns 3% of the total voting power. They actually own 2% in the year over year proxy statement. So they've been adding uh, Vanguard and their clients own about 2.8%. Um, Justin Howard owns 26% of the voting power. Alan Rankin owns 24% of the voting power for 50% of them, for 50% between them combined. Uh, interesting benchmark that they're at. I want to see how that kind of um, trends over the next couple of years to see if they want to stay at or above 50%, but it was 52% year over year. Um, so they'd have to stop, they'd have to stop uh, diluting or selling if they want to stay at, at 50%. Um, but yeah, good place to leave off. Yeah. Well, unless they dilute and give themselves shares. We know right. That's not right. uncommon. Like um, maybe, maybe some Toby type stuff with, with some founder shares. And no, I'm, I'm kidding. Yeah. yeah we'll get the moving on. <laughs> not in this market environment. You're not, you're not going to be able to do that. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Here you are, miles from home and ready to start your vacation. Good thing you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. They have free high speed Wi Fi to stream all your favorite movies. And in the morning, Get fresh waffles with their free bright side breakfast or squeeze in a workout at their fitness center. Either way, you're ready to conquer the day. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you triumph. Book your stay at LQ.com. All right, valuation. I'll try to go through this one simply and maybe explain some of the stuff here because that's for any people that are learning investing, this is probably one of the most important ones to kind of learn some of the information. Their market cap is $2.62 billion. Ticker is SPT. Their enterprise value, which is just taking their market cap, subtracting out their cash and adding back their debt is $2.44 billion. And as Brad will go through on the balance sheet, they have one of the cleanest ones in the world or not the world. They just have a really clean Silicon Valley style balance sheet. Um, Enterprise value to sales, which is just enterprise value. And in this case, dividing it by their annual recurring revenue, that is 10.2. So still yeah, pretty high, uh, but it was way, way higher a few months ago, or even uh, what, probably six to 12 months ago. I think it was close to 50. Um, enterprise value to gross profit, which is just taking the enterprise value and dividing it by their trailing 12-month gross profit is 13.4. So as Ryan will go into, pretty high margin business on the gross margin front right now. I don't really believe any other metrics are useful. Free cash flow and stuff is pretty around break-even. And then just as a note, they have 2.76 million potentially dilutive securities, which are stuff that's not in their shares outstanding, but that could be exercised into stock options or whatever. I believe they're all RSUs, but this could be warrants, convertible debt, whatever. Um, and that is compared to 54.5 million shares outstanding. So some dilution is coming. Their granting pace is you know, decent, but it's not crazy. This isn't someone like, uh, who are the crazy ones? Coinbase, I guess, is one that you know was way, way, way more dilutive or Palantir or something like that. Um, Ryan, do you want to hit earnings? Yeah, their first quarter revenue was $57.4 million. That was up 41% versus the prior year. And they're projecting $239 million in annual recurring revenue. Uh, so I guess just for anyone who isn't familiar, that is their um, 
a lot of subscription businesses or contract contracted software businesses report that metric. And that is just what their current revenue would be the subscription part annualized over, over the year. So that was up 39% year over year. And then they have 76% gross margin. So pretty high margin, at least gross margin business. And then on their first quarter revenue, they generated about $5 million in free cash flow. So that's about just under a 10% free cash flow margin. And then as I mentioned earlier, 32,800 total customers, that's growing 17% year over year. They are generating a lot more revenue from their larger customers now. So customers that contributed more than $50,000 in annual recurring revenue reached 692. That was up 97% year over year. And I think they're trying to make that more of a priority, focusing on the larger customers and trying to uh, add value within those customers. So getting a higher revenue retention rate from them. Yep, for sure. Brad, you want to hit balance sheet? I don't know. This is probably a pretty easy one. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Reminds me of kind of like Trade Desk's balance sheet when they went public uh, several years ago and then built that massive massive cash pile. But uh, they're not there yet, obviously, but no debt, a $40 million credit revolver, which actually expired in January and it doesn't look like they renewed it. Um, an $81 million cash pile, another $100 million in marketable securities. Uh, not, I mean, they, they're cash flow positive. Uh, so balance sheet, as, as Brett was saying, really clean. They've got about uh, almost $3 million um, in, in shares uh, that, that could be exercised um, or, or could be um, added to the, the outstanding share count. Um, but yeah, there's really not, not, not much to complain about. Pretty here. easy balance sheet. Yeah. yeah. I mean, all, wasn't all their liabilities just deferred revenue, which is like, yeah. Not I, so that's like the cash. best liability you could, you could ever like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. that, 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 yeah. Good, good balance sheet. <laughs> yeah. This episode is brought to you by KPMG. As a business leader, how can you innovate, build trust and move forward in a digital era? KPMG can help by bringing together the right talent and technologies, generating insights that spark opportunities. To explore their thinking, visit read.kpmg.us slash opportunities. All right. Uh, anecdotal evidence. Brad, doesn't look like you have anything here. Yeah, I, I've never uh, used used it before, so I don't know. Yeah, if we were really going hard on a deep dive, we could have faked needing a demo because that's what they they say that their big way to do is, but didn't have the time. Ryan, anything? Yeah, you can't. If you work for some company or, or any company, they have a lot of, I think it's like a 30-day free trial. And, you, and they want people doing demos. So you can say like, hey, I want to demo that if you're a potential investor. Don't yeah. tell me you're a potential investor. Tell me you're a potential customer. Uh, I watched a long tutorial on YouTube, just kind of going through the platform. Sometimes that helps me get a good, grip on like what the business truly does. Um, and the, the platform seems really comprehensive. There's a lot of, in my mind, this was just aggregating a bunch of show, bunch of social media feeds together, but there's, it, it's more curated for or custom built for businesses. So there's workflows around it. So like you can message other people within the company, assign tasks, stuff, stuff like that. And then they, they, and the communications to people contacting your social media feeds, right? That's important yeah, too. that as well. And then there's, there's, they are delivering you um, useful analytics around like what, however much uh, clicks or however much mentions. And then they can, there's also actionable business intelligence that they give you um, that I'll, I'll talk about in my future growth opportunity. Yeah. All right. Mine, but I was looking at Gartner reviews. I think with something like this, it's kind of, it can be fun to look at Gartner reviews and I always do that to find the competitors anyway. So it's perusing on there. Reviews look good. 
I think it was 4.4 stars, all pretty solid. A lot of four star reviews, uh, you know, which is not a bad thing at all. However, I think the only thing that was kind of, I don't know if it's a concern, but it made me think was their pricing. And I looked in their, their, their average one that they recommend people to get is $150 a month per user. So that seems a little expensive to me for small teams. Um, you can see why that they have pretty solid growth in their $10,000 category because that's only, you only need six team members uh, or six, excuse me, users to get that ARR pretty close to 10,000 on an annual basis. Um, I don't know, maybe we'll talk about that when we go into bull and bear case or highlights on Will Whites, but that's just something that, I don't know how, it just seems a little expensive I mean, for, a small, for a small business. You've got 30, almost 33,000 customers paying it. I think this is, that's probably a testament to the, how important it is for them, but how, how critical it, of a function. Yeah. But for a big team, yeah, it's just how how big do you have to be before you find enough cash to have this be useful for you? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I think that's a big question because they, they tout the 200 million small businesses around or total businesses around the globe. And I was thinking a lot of them can't afford you right now. No, probably not. Do they not have a lighter tier? They have a lighter tier. Uh, let me confirm. It's pretty clear pricing, which is great, but it was still not. Like I know CrowdStrike and JFrog, like just using my own positions from experience, have done really well with community additions and like here's six months for free and, and upselling. So yeah, um, this one is $89 a month. The standard one's $89 a month per user when you bill annually. So still pricey, but obviously they provide a lot of tools and people are providing the finding the value. So, you know, it's worth it. And their churn numbers, I, I believe look good, although it's hard to define churn. Everyone does it differently. All right, let's move to future growth opportunities. Brad, what do you think? Yeah. Um, I'm not a huge metaverse slappy believer, but a lot of really smart people are. And a lot of people think that the metaverse is going to really boost and enhance the amount of time we're spending in these social media settings and, and environments, which, which it does, it does make some sense. I mean, if I can play basketball in the metaverse instead of, um, instead of, or with, with friends, instead of shooting hoops outside by myself, I mean, both sound enjoyable outside is cool too, but, but, um, they both sound enjoyable. So, um, I think that that could really, I mean, enhance the TAM and not to use that, that buzzword, but really grow the TAM for, for Sprout Social by making its use cases a lot more relevant. And then also the other future growth opportunity, which this may seem a little counterintuitive, but um, IDFA has really prompted a lot of these social media companies to invest heavily in their in their ad st- in their ad tech stacks and and really to kind of ramp on-site monetization and 
and take and, and take a lot of this uh, data sharing um, need um, in, into their own hands because Apple and, and now Google aren't really aren't really playing ball. So um, that over, I mean, in the short term, it's going to be it's going to be it's going to stink, and it has stunk for Snapchat and for Facebook and all of these companies. But once these investments are actually in place and these these companies become even more valuable to these advertisers, it could lead to social becoming a larger piece of the overall advertising pie, which would be a nice growth tailwind for Sprout Social. That that's a little speculative, but um, but I like to be speculative on these. Yeah, and I think uh, the more diversified the social media usages, I guess is the right term, is just way better for Sprout Social. If there's double the amount of popular platforms out there, that would be super helpful for them. Because back in the day when it was a Facebook monopoly at one point, or I don't know when that would have been the peak Facebook monopoly, maybe like 2014, 2015, something like that. That is a lot, you, you know, you want, or you want there to be a ton out there where you have to manage it through the software. Um, and I guess I might lead to Ryan's and you're talking TikTok, right? For your, yeah. I mean, the more social medias that companies have to manage, the more value that uh, Sprout Social provides. And so uh, my future growth opportunity is uh, allowing the platform to support TikTok. It's still not a part of Sprout Social yet. And Justin Howard, the CEO, was asked about it on the conference call and his answer was, no proper update today. Stay tuned. So yeah, it sounds like this is something they're working on, uh, but they don't have any update for us yet. It it's it's a very logical next step. A lot. This is becoming a very prominent social media for a lot of companies. Um, so uh, it's actually a problem if Sprout Social doesn't have it within a few years. Um, and then I also think. Uh, the business intel and the analytics component could be more meaningful over time. Just and the business intelligence part that includes stuff like uh, overall market research, some consumer trends. So you as a company could potentially you'd be getting stuff back that says like here was uh, the the type of engagement that works the best or was able to be the most helpful. And then that is something you can actually take action on as a. Uh, uh, working on a social media team at a company. So I, I think there's, you're sort of sharing best practices in that sense across uh, different organizations. I, I could see that becoming a bigger part of the business. Yeah. And the back on the TikTok thing, it kind of brings up, that could be a highlight where, you know, adding them is great. And if they can have all these partners, it's also great, but a low light on that, if you flip it around, they are at the mercy of all these platforms, giving them the APIs. So they can't just grab the data themselves. They have to get a partnership. Um, and I think they mentioned that Instagram finally gave access to direct messages. And it got me thinking like, okay, well, that's a bit of a, you know, just a little bit of a risk here is that these companies they're have to be able to, yeah, they're relying on the companies giving them access to this information. I don't see any reason why they wouldn't because it's all beneficial for usage on social media, but it is still at the mercy of Facebook, whoever. And yeah, the I wonder why they're TikTok's not a little custom. Like it's not as easy, I would imagine, to integrate into the Sprout Social platform as something like Twitter, because yeah, the, like, like the like videos YouTube-ish. are so different. More like YouTube, right? Because it's even less and less communication. Because it's like, yeah. like I guess I'm, I'm not a stuff. TikTok user, so maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong in that sense. But do they have WhatsApp or is that because they're going more into social? But maybe they don't need it. I don't know. I don't All know. right. 
Uh, I'm going to go to mine. This one's lazy, but their growth story is really simple. They got this one product. So I'm going to kind of cheat and go international growth. But I think it fits here because, you know, people in Asia, Africa, Latin America, everywhere, they all use social media, possibly even more than the West for their marketing stuff. Some people are all on social media um, and more in these emerging markets, if you want to call them that. And if I remember in the 10Q correctly, I didn't write it down, but 70% of Sprout Social's revenue, I believe, is from either the United States or North America. Um, so I think there's a big, big growth opportunity to go after customers in those regions. I would think pricing would have to go down, but that's with all companies when they're going into markets, say like India, where GDP per capita is a lot lower. Still, if they've established offices, I think, in a lot of continents except Africa. So... They're definitely going after this and it's probably hurting margins in the short run because they definitely don't have the customer base to support that yet, but could be a big growth opportunity. They really get boots on the ground, salespeople in those regions. Yeah. yeah. Right. Is there any so, sort of a network effect here? Like nah. where you like other companies see companies, see other companies benefiting from this. I think you're just describing virality. Do you think that applies here? possibly how often are, you know, social media marketing departments talking to each other, possibly like, Oh, this is the best product. Oh, uh, we use Salesforce add this on as your plugin. Like it's really, really great. Something like that. And that, I guess we didn't even talk about the Salesforce partnership, but maybe do we have that in the highlights and lowlights? Maybe we'll t- I'll make sure to talk about it in highlights and lowlights. All right, Brad, what do you like and dislike about Sprout Social? Yeah. And I'm, I'm getting kind of lazy here. Um, so I apologize, but, uh, the, the, the 10 years for the management team are, are really long. I mean, the found the founders are at least two, I think. Yeah. Well, Rankin is still a CTO and, and, and all, yeah, all four are still all, around. Yeah. All four are still around. Um, so that's not, I mean, that's not, it's not crazy, but it's not super common. And then just, I mean, it's been 13 years. So to have all four of them still actively contributing to the company is something that I, I very much so appreciate and, and, and respect and just hints at a strong culture. Um, the low lights, the CEO loves to hang out on Twitter and, um, I'm kind of picking on, on him a little bit because, uh, cause there's How not, often is it daily tweets? I, I, I see him on Twitter. channel check. <laughs> yeah. He's checking he, his customers. Yeah. And, and I mean, he's a social media CEO, so it's not, I don't have great experience with, with CEOs who love to hang out on social media. So that, that is why this isn't my low light, but it's not a red flag. And, and I couldn't really find a red flag, uh, for this company. Um, so. Actually, is he tweeting at shorts? That's the big question. He's not tweeting at shorts. He's he's just saying nice things about his own company, which is fine. That's it's not. He should just not. But it's fine. <laughs> that's all right. If you don't, if yeah. you don't say analysts, talk about analyst track records. I do find it. Yeah, flag. whenever an executive spends a little too much time on social media, I find it to be a yellow flag. Um, my highlights. This seems like having not known what Sprout Social was, I would have thought like, man. Th- someone needs to build this software because I'm there's, sure there's organizations a lot of different use it. Softwares off there. Yeah. There's a ton. And so it, it just feels like it has really good product market fit and it seems like it addresses a growing need for businesses. And they actually talk about that in their 10 K they said in 2021, the majority of our new customer revenue resulted from our trials and other inbound sources. So people they are, do have that. They do they have that here. Yeah. They don't have to go out. At, well, Oh, that's it. hold on. They don't have to go out necessarily as much as some other companies and convince teams to use their product. Theoretically, it is yeah. sort of a growing necessity for these companies. On the other side, 
this is my low light, they spend a big chunk of their revenue on sales and marketing. So it feels a little contradictory in that sense. Um, 45% of their revenue to be exact. I just, and I feel like I say this with every early software as a service business, like when are they going to get to, when are they going to realize true, strong cash flow margins? Um, operating leverage, right? Yeah. When are they going to see that operating leverage? It feels like a lot of these companies just perpetually spend uh, through their income statement and sales and marketing and, and uh, general and administrative. So that's the, the, that is really the low light to me. But even to Brad's point, I had a hard time finding a whole bunch of like true business low lights aside from the yeah, financials. I, I couldn't find any giant ones. Um, they're all just kind of talking about margins or something like that. I mean, highlights for me, um, all good software is deflationary, uh, which just means that it you know, saves time and possibly replaces employees, which is the hard truth. And this feels like it fits that definition to a T. It saves people a lot of time if they're managing social media. And if you have a team, you may not even say you're a small business. You may not even, or not, it wouldn't be a small business. Say you're a medium-sized customer-facing business and you are trying to embrace social more. You may even only need to have one person focused on your social strategy um, instead of say like five. Or you don't even need someone. It's just someone in your marketing department. It can really save, I don't know, that, that, that's sort of the value here, I would think, and also saving a lot of time. Good unit economics, as we could all see. Uh, they're apparently best in class for the upper end of the market, um, which is what there's a lot of people that are messing around with the small business ones, but they're a lot cheaper and probably not as good. And they also made Salesforce quit, which I think was great. And now they're partnering together. So I think that's a pretty big highlight because Salesforce, is sort of a competitor with them, but it's also just adjacent because it's just general customer relation management for marketers. Um, low lights, and this might get into my bull and bear case too. Is this a company or a product? I'm not sure. When that question, it reminds me of Vimeo in a way where I'm just thinking, all right, is this a bolt-on to someone or is it actually going to be true on its own? I think they're trying to fight against that with all the stuff they're adding to the system, but would they fit in more within a bigger uh, software conglomerate. Um, I think general and administrative expenses as a percentage of revenue are way too high. And hopefully that comes down because it was 25% of revenue. And usually I believe it's closer to 10% for a mid gap or a smaller mid gap. And then if it's a large cap, it's closer to 5% um, if you're, if you're well run. And I think the other one here is how many companies are truly going to want this, that. I would say whole, a lot. Well, we'll see. Because maybe a better way to frame the question is how many companies know they want this? Because if they don't know these things exist, it's going to take a lot of pushing to get adoption. And that might make sales and marketing spend permanently high. And then your margins are low. On the pricing question that you asked earlier, when you think about a potentially a medium-sized business where you could have one person from the marketing department really run this, uh, manage this software on their own, then isn't that it doesn't that price not seem too crazy? Oh, it's user? not too crazy yet, but how big is that medium-sized business? Most businesses don't have marketing departments. Yeah, but the I don't know. You the the opportunity within the large companies is still pretty big. Sure. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh bull case, Brad, what do you have? Yeah, and, and the anecdotal Salesforce news kind of supports this bull case a little bit, but that they found this fast-growing niche within the ad tech space and that they have a unique and value proposition 
this is extremely generic, but it's, it is it is what the bull case is that will insulate them from the competition that is that is very much so coming to eat their lunches. So, um, I mean, I think about all of the players in ad tech and and they all they all have social media aspects of their business. So it doesn't seem like too big of a stretch for a uh, a trade desk or, or a the trade desk, I should say. They need to get rid of the the in front of their name. It's well, it's I'm just like the well, I, I'm sure you you know like the Ohio State University. I'm not sure right. invest in them. Yeah, anymore, yeah, no, no, no. So let's call them <laughs> trade desk. But they 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 have these um, consolidated media buying campaigns across CTV and social media and all of these places. So. Uh, I guess this is kind of tying into my bear case. So I'm, I'm going to do these together. So, so the bull case is that um, this is different enough so that uh, the trade desks of the world or the Facebooks of the world can't just kind of recreate this on their own. And Facebook probably can't because of their conflicts of interest with other social media platforms, but more so the open internet players in the space, like some of the competition you cited. Um, so po- or positively thinking is that Sprout Social has kind of established itself and, and creates enough value that that's not going to matter. Um, which again, Salesforce, good news, but but the the bear case there um, is is that there's not a big enough difference between um, this niche that they've that they've carved out and and the overlapping niches that that the trade desk and all these other ad tech players have, and that market share is just going to fall or they're going to have to significantly lower prices, like Brett was potentially alluding to, in order to compete. So um, in the most generic way possible, <laughs> bull cases that the moat is strong and the bear cases that the moat is not strong. <laughs> yeah. Uh, bear case. Uh, yeah, that's, sum it up. It's a commodity. That's, that's a wonderful way <laughs> yeah. to sit on the fence there. Not Brad. to sound too sophisticated, but that is what I've come up with. <laughs> yeah. right. All right, Ryan. I, so I want to kind of walk through just the valuation to put some numbers on it. So listeners have some idea of what the investment looks like. Um, let's say over the next five years that their customer count doubles, the spend per customer uh, is twice what it is today in five years. And then they get to a free cash flow margin of 20%. And for reference or for context, customer count today is growing at 17% a year. The uh, average spend per existing customer is growing at around, let's say 15%. And then the free cash flow margin is 10%. So we're uh, pretty much a double in everything across the board over five years. That would leave nine, almost a billion dollars in annual recurring revenue, almost $200 million in free cash flow. If it trades at 25 times in five years, that would be about a $4.8 billion market cap, maybe 5 billion. That's about double today's market cap. Pricing and dilution, probably 80%, 80% growth. Yeah. So you're getting, and it depends what you whether you think those assumptions are right, wrong, uh, conservative, aggressive. I think those are pretty optimistic assumptions, yeah. honestly, given their the current trajectory of their growth rate. It, they have come down fairly quickly. Um, that would you'd be getting a double over five years. Seems the most aggressive there might be the free cash flow margin, just because I don't see there. I mean, there's a lot of room in GNA. So Maybe, we'll but if we're underestimating how critical of a component this is to businesses in five years and how much that's going to grow, then maybe there's stronger growth rate in the customers or stronger growth rate in spend from existing customers. Yeah, I could definitely see the spend going up a lot. Um, But yeah, those are good numbers there. Uh, I'll go into mine. It's very simple because I think the bull cases you get bought out by Salesforce at a nice premium, kind of like a little Slack or a Tableau acquisition. And I'll go into my bear case and as you get bought out by Salesforce below your cost basis, because I really think if I was a marketplace or a 
odds maker, whoever, I would put pretty high odds that Salesforce buys this thing because one, they love buying everything close to them. And two, Sprout Social is darn close to them. And yeah, and they're partners now. Yeah. I mean, the if Danaher is, is a Sprout Social customer, I think every single enterprise would potentially be a Sprout Social customer. And so many enterprises are Salesforce customers. Seems like a fantastic acquisition for them to make way smarter than Slack. Um, I still don't understand that one, but I don't understand Salesforce that well. But I do think that if I had to make a bet, I, I would bet that Salesforce tries to acquire this company. But who knows if Howard and who's the other guy with the big stake, Rankin, wants Aaron, if they, Rankin. Want, if they yeah. want to sell. Uh, it seems like both of you have kind of hit your bear case, so I'll hit mine. The numbers I talked about uh, earlier are too aggressive, and that seems possible. Um, and then also the, the low light we talked about, do they continue to spend uh, more than they need to on sales and marketing, on general and administrative, uh, just to keep growth high? That would be frustrating for me. Yeah. And we're assuming the 25X free cash flow of multiple there. Given their growth that could even maybe. be aggressive. Yeah. You do that? No, I think whatever we debate about this company, you definitely need to be expecting growth. All right, let's move on to the final question. More or less interested, Brad, final thoughts. Yeah, and I think you guys have done a great job hitting on this. It's really a matter of, they, I think they've done a pretty good job um, demonstrating that they can compound at least to like a 20% clip for, for quite a long time. So it's where does the operating leverage come from? Like can GNA shrink as a percent of revenue? Can sales and marketing shrink as a percent of revenue? Because I mean, at, at 10 times, what was it? 10 times ARR right now? Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. You, I mean, margin expansion, it needs to happen in order for 10 times sales to mean 30 or 40 times free cash flow. And right now it doesn't. So um, there's probably going to be some sales multiple compression, uh, but if they can expand margins enough and have enough leverage in that, in that operating model, um, then it'll still work. Um, and for me, I think that's somewhat likely. And I think it's extremely likely also that Salesforce buys them. Um, I think that's a great, a great call, Brett, but I would say more interested with a ton more work to do before I can, before I can start position. Yeah. Uh, one thing I'd add on that when you're talking multiples there, um, some people, maybe if you've been investing the last few years, think of sales multiple of 10, it's not that crazy. There are very few companies that kind of deserve that at maturity. One easy example is probably Microsoft. Anyone that's proven that they can have 30% plus margin with steady growth are really the only ones that deserve that 10x sales multiple because if it goes down to 20%, man, that's an still like the margins can really affect that valuation quickly. Well, I agree. And, and I'll just add like, okay, so I have a CrowdStrike that's at 18 time sales. Um, and so that's what, like 55 times free cash flow with a 30% margin or something like that. That, I mean, that sets the bar so high for them to continue to have flawless quarter after flawless quarter. And with that team, I'm somewhat comfortable taking that, um, making that assumption. And I, I could always be wrong, but um, I, yeah, the, the bar is extremely high for that company, for this company, for any company with a double digit sales multiple. Yeah. All right. Ryan, final thoughts. I'm on the fence. I, I think it's in my wheelhouse. So it's a business that I can understand. It's understandable. It, yeah. Um, I think the category and their position in the category are two things I like. I see this being a critical need in five years and a growing need over the next decade. They're the leader. I mean, according to Gartner reviews, they're the leader. Yeah. But I'm going to date this. It's May 20th, 2022. I think there's better opportunities to get a similar growth rate 
with maybe less risk and and and, and uh, uh, at a better valuation. And an earnings yeah. multiple that can be used. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. There's a little bit more risk on valuation and whether steady state margins. Uh, why don't you own something in Fang besides this? Why don't you own the companies that they're at the mercy of? I hate when people say that, but yeah. Why? Why? Oh, well, especially yeah. I want to make that comparison here because they're at the mercy of a lot of the fang companies of giving them data. Uh, yeah, I'm in the same boat. seems interesting. If I was someone that spread out a lot of bets to maybe 30 or 40 um, companies or even higher, kind of one of those Molly Fools and investing styles uh, and, and other people, I know it's pretty popular to, you know, spread your bets out and kind of never sell strategy as an individual investor that this might be up my alley. Uh, Cause there's definitely a lot of potential here. This could be a 10 bagger if they really execute all that good stuff, but Eh. I kind of just go, eh, when I'm looking at it, I'm like, why, why this over, over something else? If you're going to have a concentrated portfolio, but they've executed pretty darn well. And that Salesforce thing was a really big indicator that kind of got me a little more excited. Then maybe it's harder to build a platform like this than itself. Yeah. Or they're just way better. And Salesforce is like, why don't we just partner? Yeah. And What's eventually our... buy them. Eventually buy them. All right. Well, we got to say the news. Uh, Brad is mm. going to change to once every four weeks. Um, and we're going to let him choose every time for when he comes back on every four weeks. But first, do you want to talk about your newsletter? What's Stock Market Nerd, right? You explain it. Yeah. StockMarketNerd.com. So that's spelled exactly how it sounds. 100% free. Um, I cover every week all relevant news for my 21 holdings. So this week, it's going to be some upstart commentary from their CFO about the bridge funding issue that everyone's been paying attention to. Um, Progeny's uh, had, a, had a really interesting investor conference with some bullish commentary on May. So some some current data that they actually offered, which I was very grateful for. Um, but yeah, um, I, I would really appreciate it if you guys sign up. Um, I think it's very complimentary to what we do here. Um, and, and yeah, I, I just want to leave off with a note that I really enjoy um, doing these episodes. So I'm really happy that I'm going to continue to be doing them once a month. And I don't anticipate that stopping for the very long-term future. Cause again, I really enjoy this just getting sort of overwhelmed uh, with the newsletter. So have to have to focus a little more strictly there, but it's um, a good thing. That's a good problem to have. Yeah. yeah. But two thumbs up for, for my experience here and looking forward to continue to doing these with you guys. Appreciate All right, that. Four, yeah. Appreciate the kind words. All right. Four weeks from now, what are we doing with you? Wait, no, no, no. It's your call. I know, but we're choosing four weeks from him, and then I'm choosing the next time when we record. Oh, it's just uh, so right. We're choosing both. Okay, Brad, what's yours? I think I. Oh no, I remember. Uh, Lululemon. Uh, we're doing right, or did did you guys say? You just <laughs> yeah, so that's, spoiler that's alert. Four we weeks just, out. Lululemon. Yes, Lululemon. Four weeks out. Spoiler alert. We did discuss this at the beginning. It would have helped you out if you forgot. But yes, it's Lululemon. Okay, All I'm right. a little foggy right now. My head feels like it weighs a hundred pounds, but. Um, if, if you guys want to do a different one, I'm, I'm happy to do that. We could, we could decide in the next couple of like days. I like Lululemon. Lululemon's great. Retail environment's kind of crazy right now. And so it should be fun to get some Brett, conference calls. What are we doing two weeks from now? Two weeks from now, uh, by popular demand from, uh, one of our co-hosts here, I won't Me. name names. I want to do it. Is Carvana. They are very controversial. Some people think they're going bankrupt. A lot of smart investors are long. Yeah. Uh, so it should be fun. All right. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. Give us a quick review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It takes five seconds and it's the best way to help the show. Remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on this show is not formal advice or recommendation. Ryan and I are general partners at Arch Capital. Arch Capital clients may have securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time.